Hi, everybody. I'm Brandon Laws. And I'm Dustin Griffin. And we want to thank you for turn, tuning in to the very first episode of Digging Up Dirt. Mm-hmm. We got some good stuff for you guys today. Yeah, we're, we're pretty excited about this. This is something that Dustin and I have been uh, have been talking about and kind of working on for, for several months now, and really just the goal of, of bringing some useful, interesting, and entertaining information from, from the world of agriculture. Yep. It's... Uh... It's 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 been a little bit of a journey trying to figure out exactly how to do all this stuff, but I think we have yeah. some some pretty cool stuff to give you guys today. So. Yeah, this is the first time either one of us have uh, have done a podcast, and um, you know we think we got some good ideas and some uh, some pretty interesting uh, factoids and information and guests that we'll be bringing to you. So, um, like we mentioned, we're really excited about it. Uh, I wanted to tell you a little bit about myself. I'm Brandon Laws. I've worked in the ag industry for, gosh, I guess going on almost 15 years now. I've been with the current company I'm with, ActGrow, which is a division of Nutrien um, for going on eight years and, you know, really been involved in um, kind of the ag business, ag retail side of things, working with with our grower customers to try to help them improve their kind of their, their fertility, plant and soil health. Um, it's kind of where where Dustin and I both sort of reside in that space and, um, you know, are looking forward to bringing information in regards to that, but also just, you know, kind of all corners of the ag world, I think is, uh, you know, the whole premise of, of digging up dirt. Dustin, what about you? What's, uh, what's kind of your story? Yeah. So, um, I went from nuclear medicine to ag. Uh, that's a much longer story to actually explain the whole thing, but, um, I've been in ag for about 12 years now. Um, I'm just kind of working my way up through retail and, I uh, started with actor grow, uh, man, Brandon, how long has it been? Three years, four years now? feels like I've been here for a lot longer than that, but yeah. No, I think it's, it's been about that, uh, I think four years. So yeah. I remember, um, when you first started, yeah. um, you, just, you were, you, you're, you're originally from Colorado, but you currently live in South Dakota, right? Yeah. Yep. Well, grew up in Colorado till I was uh, about 11. Then we moved to a farm in Southwest Iowa. Um, and then went to college at UNI, uh, for biology. And then I uh, graduated with nuclear medicine from a medical college named Allen, uh, in Waterloo. And then started out with, uh, CPS, um, in, uh, Northeast Nebraska and, uh, just kind of, I mean, that's how I got up into South Dakota. So, right. On. Well, I grew up, uh, Excuse me. I'm an East Coast guy. I grew up in Maryland, um, moved to Colorado, um, with, with UAP, United Agri Products. And, um, that's what got me out West here. And, uh, you know, really enjoyed being in the industry. And, and that's kind of why we, uh, we're, we're doing this. I think both of us find agriculture extremely interesting, um, very dynamic industry, but, you know, surprisingly very misunderstood by the general public and, um, you know, looking to, uh, you know, like, I think, like I mentioned before, you know, un- understand and meet the challenges of, of feeding the world. It's, uh, yeah, it's a pretty tall task, but exciting. Yeah, man. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in this industry to, to focus on. Um, you know, we'll, we'll try and do it as, uh, as best we can, but there's a lot to cover. So, 
Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's certainly enough about us because that's uh, you know, not 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 the reason we're doing this. Um, you know, kind of an exciting episode we got this week. Um, we had an opportunity to sit down with Jake Walker. He is the uh, crop protection product manager for Loveland Products uh, division of of Nutrient Ag Solutions, and he had some pretty interesting things um, kind of centered around the the glyphosate market and um, and kind of what that means for spring of 2021. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of challenges, um, not not only just for for glyphosate, um, but a, a lot of other stuff around the industry. You know, as far as being able to get raw materials and um, tech out. So um, he's got some really cool insight into how the whole glyphosate um, chain works. Yeah, I'm pretty amazed at how just supply chain in general uh, mm-hmm. has been impacted with, with the pandemic uh, globally. Yep. I think, uh, I mean, I, I didn't even realize it from, uh, you know, everything from what we deal with, with, uh, you know, ag chemicals and commodities to, I mean, I don't know if, if, unless you're living under a rock, if you've walked into a store lately, I mean, the shelves are nowhere near as stocked as they normally are. And it um, kind of opened your eyes to the impact that, you know, a a global, an upset in the global market can, can affect us locally. Yeah. I mean, it really highlights the importance of ag too, right? I mean, without our growers and, and this whole, you know, chain, uh, of, of agriculture, you know, it, it would have really suffered even more than it already had. So, um, you know, thank you to all the growers out there that, that keep food on our shelves. Yeah. I know without some of the local production, it would have been, you know, pretty challenging, but, um, it was a good, good visit with Jake and, um, and we'll highlight some of the stuff that, that he said and, uh, and, and play that for you here in a minute. Um, you know, just kind of uh, kind of interesting week. You know, we had the the Super Bowl this week. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty interesting is the right word for for the Super Bowl. It was it was pretty uh, lackluster uh, to say the least. But yeah, I mean, a couple uh, couple firsts in it. Um, first yeah. team to ever host the Super Bowl, playing in the Super Bowl with with Tampa. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tom Tom Brady took another record from Peyton Manning. Uh, <laughs> he was uh, Peyton was the only quarterback to ever win a Super Bowl as a starting QB with two teams. Yeah, um, he doesn't own that anymore. But uh, just just the success that guy's had, it's incredible. Oh yeah, it's it's absolutely insane. It's it's hard not to hate him. But you know, congratulations to Tom Brady. That's it's it's pretty amazing. Um, but the, yeah. the the I was really confused when I saw Gronk. So, I, I mean, I haven't hardly watched football this year, so I didn't know that he came out of retirement. Last I knew was that he was retired, and then all of a sudden he caught the first touchdown uh, pass of the game, and I was like, what, 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 what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know yeah. he was back. That was, so. You know, that was Brady's first touchdown uh, in the first quarter of any Super Bowl. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, hmm. that, was a, that was a first for him for uh, – Especially for some of the gambling gambleholics out there, that was a big bet. <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw one uh, deal on I think it was Instagram where they were they bet on the no touchbacks so that there would be no touchbacks in the Super Bowl, that's and I right. th- I think they won that. Yeah, that they? one hit. That yeah, one hit, that's so. that's absolutely insane. No, it's crazy how some of the um, 
you know, with the the acceptance and legalization of online sports betting, how how you watch some of these sporting events has really changed. Yeah, uh, my brother-in-law really likes to to gamble. You know, twenty bucks a game or something like that. But um, when we were out there two weeks ago or three weeks ago, um, it actually made football worth watching for teams that I didn't really care about. You know. Yeah. Um, cause I don't know how we, how do we do that with farming? Can we, uh, <laughs> we do like a, a, a gambling website on farming. Yeah. Is it, you know, over, over under 300 bushel there you go. <laughs> bet on the, uh, Hey, I mean, I bet we could, we could probably get somebody to give us odds on like a national corn growers contest yields. Yeah, I bet we could. I, you know what? It wouldn't surprise me if Vegas already is doing it. I mean, you yeah. can bet on just about anything in Vegas. So if they can make money on it, you can bet on it. <laughs> That's right. So well should we uh should we get into our interview with jake yeah no i think that'd be great um like i mentioned we had an opportunity to sit down with jake walker crop protection product manager with loveland products and here is what he had to say in regards to his experience with nutrient and loveland and the impact that some of the global supply chain is having on glyphosate All right, well, welcome back to Digging Up Dirt. I'm Brandon. And I'm Dustin. And we're really excited today. We've got Jake Walker with Loveland Products. The crop, Well, Jake, I'll just let you kind of introduce yourself. You're the Crop Protection Product Manager with Loveland Products. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I'm Jake Walker, and I am the Crop Protection Marketing Manager for uh, Loveland Products Incorporated, stationed here in lovely Loveland, Colorado. Well, that's exciting. Loveland's a beautiful place. You and I both live close to here, and we actually we actually know each other a little bit. Uh, Jake was my bear rep a long time ago, um, and you grew up in southern Colorado, right? Yeah, I had a, I've been fortunate enough to live in Colorado my entire life, whether uh, growing up in southeast Colorado in a smaller town, smaller community called Lamar, Colorado, um, and uh, having an opportunity to go to Colorado State University and, and become a Rami and study SMA business there. And, Shortly after graduating college, um, I got to get into got my first taste of the industry. I'm uh, working for Bear Crop Science, covering Colorado, Panhandle, Nebraska, and Southern Wyoming, and that uh, really kind of was my first introduction to to, to ag retail, if you will, and uh, my introduction to the Brandon Laws. So um, <laughs> the one and only. When, uh, well, yeah, it was it was a great experience, a lovely experience, but. Uh, I'm glad I made an impression on you. <laughs> yeah, I miss Colorado for sure. I'm from originally from Colorado Springs. God, I, mean, I miss the weather. It's I live in South Dakota now, and it is uh, a high of seven degrees today, and it's supposed to be like high in the single digits all week. Like at least in Colorado, nice. you guys' weather will warm up. Like it'll go from negative twenty to ninety in a twenty-four hour period. Miss that. I feel pretty special. I'm I'm here with two people born in Colorado. You don't meet a ton of people born in Colorado. Most of them just move here. So, yeah, we lots of transplants living in the state now. What high school did you go to? I didn't go to high school there. Um, uh, we left when I was like 11. So okay, yeah, just over West Side, Colorado Springs. So yeah, we used to growing up in Lamar. Um, we were like the big town of uh, Southeast Colorado. We had a super Walmart. So, you know, we were like mm. really on the map at that point. Um, <laughs> but all the, the smaller communities around us were too small to play sports. So, like, we played 11 man football. We, 
we're in two, three, eight, uh, two and three, eight football, basketball, and baseball, and what have you. So basically, we were we were traveling to um, Colorado Springs, Pueblo, Wahana, mm-hmm. some of these bigger communities. So we ended up playing a bunch of bunch of schools um, in uh, Colorado Springs, and shoot, it was a two and a half two and a half hour bus ride every every time we want to go up there. So yeah, yeah pretty familiar with the. Uh, the Colorado Springs. Yep. Yep, I miss it. But, I don't know. South Dakota's got its own charm. So, oh, sorry, I got us off track there. That's all right. So, Jake, you've, um, you know, speaking to that, growing up in Lamar, you had uh, kind of uh, an interesting taste of agriculture down there. Obviously, Southeast Colorado, for people who don't know, has a kind of unique climates and um, agricultural heritage. Um, you know, yeah. you had an opportunity to work for uh, – a local crop scouting company who you knew the owner pretty well and um so what, what kind of what kind of crops and stuff did you guys have down there because i know it's a lot different than what you see up here where we're mostly just just corn and wheat and maybe a few few specialty things here on the front range but colorado i feel feel like it's corn and wheat country but but southern colorado is a little different there yeah so most of the people that live in lamar grew up in lamar had generations living um in that community and, and both my both my parents are actually from Wisconsin. So they met at University of Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Um, my dad was a soil scientist and my mom was a uh, studying plant pathology. And she actually uh, got her master's in CSU in plant pathology. My dad followed her out here. And when she graduated, they had um, a research associate position down in Southeast Colorado to study basically um, a non-existent pest in terms of of pest that uh, was a big deal 25, 30 years ago in Russian wheat aphid, um, and has basically been bred out of existence. And uh, what, so my mom gets stationed down there, my dad gets uh, a job with Servitech, uh, which is a well-known crop consulting company. Um, and then after one year, they pulled that company's footprint out of, out of uh, the Arkansas Valley. And it gave my dad an opportunity to start his own business, um, which in turn uh, gave me lots of opportunity and introductions to, to meet all sorts of different people, with, along with my mom working with farmers down there as well. Um, but, you know, some of the crops, it's, there's feedlots, um, there's some dairies, and kind of even as close as Coolidge, Kansas. Um, so corn's still a big deal. High-quality alfalfa is a big deal down there. Um, but there's actually in the Arkansas Valley lots of um, different specialty crops. So... You know, people here, Rocky Ford, um, cantaloupes, cantaloupes as, yeah. as an example. Um, and just with the climate, climate, the soil type, and everything really produces this really nice, sweet melon that's uh, world-renowned, I guess. Um, so cantaloupes, watermelons, um, a lot of onions are, are grown down in that valley, and just different specialties like peppers and, and those kind of things. But um, it's still the, the bread and butter. I shouldn't say the bread and butter, but... Um, still some of the core crops are still going to be alfalfa, corn, and, and wheat. Obviously, it's a huge dry land wheat uh, market down in that part of the world. Now, given it rains anywhere from 14 to 16 inches a year, um, makes it a pretty challenging environment from a dry land perspective. Um, but they'll still average, you know, 25, 35, you know, 45 bushels um, on, a, on a good year um, in that, that kind of dry land setting. So. Right on. Well, yeah, definitely a little different um different climate than a lot of parts in the country. I mean, Colorado's pretty pretty unique when it comes to that, that you know, high mountain desert, very arid, and um, presents some challenges, but good uh, 
good area to grow some stuff if you got water. So, as um, so you've been with uh, with Loveland now for what? Six months. I'm still kind of like the FNG of of Loveland products now. Well, you have that look have... about you too, so it fits. <laughs> yeah, lost, scared, um, lots of other uh, looks that nobody can see here, but. Uh, we do have a new adjuvants manager who just got hired two or three weeks ago, so I can no longer claim to be the FNG. Um, however, yeah, I've been here since uh, September, so yeah. it's been uh, it's been an experience to say the least. So it's the crop protection market's an interesting spot. Yeah, and that's actually why um, why we asked to visit with you. I know um, nothing like jumping into a, a new role and and being tasked with some of the challenges of. Uh, the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021, you know, one of the things that, you know, as I travel and talk to some guys that I work with, obviously that's on the forefront of their mind, some of the issues that are surrounding, you know, glyphosate and whether that's the glyphosate tech or, you know, some of the production and logistics associated with that. Um, I guess first what I'd like to know is, you know, what does, um, I guess, how's, how's glyphosate, like, what's its life? I mean, I, I know it doesn't come, you know, from China and two and a halves, you know, to the farm, but what kind of, you know, from the time Loveland gets involved to the time our retail locations sell to a grower, you know, what's, what's a little bit of that process like? Yeah, sure. And I'd like to describe that process to anybody that's willing to listen because the fact that we are, are capable of, of procuring raw active ingredients um, building it and then getting finished goods to farmers in a relatively quick quick amount of time um, is, is pretty awesome all in itself. So, um, you know, and when you look at the process, it, it really starts with our procurement team. And we have uh, resources in, in China um, is where we buy um, dry acid. Now, a dry acid shows up on, on a, into a container ship. And, you know, the reason we don't buy finished goods out of China, it really comes down to the fact that it's really expensive to ship water. It takes up a bunch of space, it's heavy. Um, so anytime we can ship a dry product from China to the U.S. is will always be the preference for finished goods. So Yeah, and do you feel like that helps us control formulation and product quality too? Um, yeah, it definitely does. You know, we've got a formulation team um, with, with Randy, Randy Worley, and, and he spends a lot of time dealing with different tech, technical material, but a lot of times we're buying tech from the same source um, for the most part. So. You know, when you look at, you know, that technical material shows up out of one of the provinces in China to, um, you know, a, a harbor gets on a ship. It's 8 to 12 weeks from China to the U.S., goes through customs, and then that container gets off a ship, gets on a, on a flatbed container truck, and then is shipped um, to our, our production site in Greenville, Mississippi. Um, from there... It's, uh, it's reactive, and it's turned into an IPA salt, uh, 62%. And then we take that uh, 62% buck, and we put that into finished good materials, and that's where our customer sees. So um, there's multiple steps for everything. Um, or every, every little component has its own step that has time associated with it until it gets into finished goods and ends up on a cold truck or ends up into you know, your, your flavor packaging that's out there. So... You know, I think some of the challenges that we're seeing right now really is the logistics that are, are behind each one of those steps. And it really stems from um, whether there's container shortages, as an example. Uh, yeah, because that, that was one thing. You and I have talked a little bit about this, but I can remember, was it was it 08 when they had the Beijing Olympics and there was like that big deal with, you know, cleaning up China's air quality and manufacturing? I know that kind of triggered a little glyphosate shortage 
but that was more around supply. This seems to be more around like a logistical issue. Is that right? Yeah, and that's what we're we're being told. Um, you know, you look. I think everybody's sitting at their on their phones or at their laptops ordering stuff from 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 Amazon, and, and whether we recognize it or not, a lot of the things that we're buying today come from China, and um, the fact there's been so many of these containers uh, sh- shipped from China to the U.S. and not enough of them going back. They don't have available containers to put product in and get on a ship and, and end up back here in the United States. So, um, you know, I think some of the statistics coming from shipping companies are saying, you know, we're where we were four or five months ago, last fall, early fall, we were looking at around 80 to 90% on-time deliveries, and now it's closer to 30 or 40% as an example. So, you know, it's not necessarily unique to just this industry or anything. There's just delays across the board from that standpoint. So it's, it's I mean, you look at some of these these harbors and these ship, shipping container setups, it's, it's pretty wild when you just look at the pictures how they can stay organized, getting the stuff in the, in the on the right ship, and it ended up in the right spot once it gets gets to its uh, final destination. Hey, Jake. So, who do you think is, is this is going to affect? If there is going to be, you know, some guy that's not going to be able to get it, where is that going to show up first? Yeah, I, I honestly think it's just a, a sh- right now kind of a temporary uh, hiccup in supply chain. So while we're we're feeling the effects today of deliveries. Um, I don't think it'll have a huge impact going into the season, to be honest. honest. I I don't think the farmer necessarily will feel the shortages that we may be feeling locally. You know, I think things are going to start to resolve itself um, here in the short term. Um, I I do think it's just we're feeling some of the the ripple effects right now um, in terms of not getting product when, when we need it. But I do believe that we should be flush once we get in season and applications start to Gotcha. So no, nobody needs to go and change their whole farm plan for next year right now, is what you're telling me. No, I would just <laughs> encourage them to order our uh, our premium Makazi mm-hmm. Makazi brand that's shown uh, some great performance out there. That's just go. Brandon smiling. I mean, he's going like, dude, <laughs> come on, man. You've got. Uh, well, we got to have a little. Well, we're like we're like it's, uh, we're like Fox News. We're we're fair and unbalanced, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But no, I mean. It may not always be in the exact flavor that you you order um, when you whether you prepaid it or what you're asking for, um, but I, I do think there shouldn't be really major supply interruptions at the farm gate going into 2022 or excuse me 2021. Okay, well that's good news. Yeah, I know that's good to hear. I know when I talk to to a lot of people within the retail organization, it's a challenge right now. It seems to be a lot of. Um, you know, operational concerns with, with deliveries and, and package sizing or, or, or even different brands. How many brands of Glyphosate does Loveland have? Well, we've got Mad Dog, Mad Dog Plus, um, um, Mad Dog 5.4, and then we've got a Mad Dog K6. So we've got four there, then plus our Mikazi, uh, which has, you know, our Lessatech built inside of it. And then we've got uh, Makazi Yield Pro, which is a, a combination of IBA and Kynodin with glyphosate. Um, and so we've got six different flavors that, that guys can choose from. Now, you know, we're, we're focusing our efforts on a handful of brands going into this market year until, you know, we do kind of settle in and, and kind of find our sweet, sweet spot from a production standpoint. Because you're right, I mean, we, we can deliver on our glyphosate request, but it may not always be 
in thirties. It may not always be in two and a halfs. It may not be in, in uh, you know bulk all the time. So you know we've got we've got the manufacturing just may not be necessarily the right flavor or the pack size in the short term. Like I said, I think things are going to free up as we get closer into the season. Um, but you know we're trying to stay ahead of this right now so that uh, you know our, our retail operations can plan accordingly. That's good. I know. I know it's something you've been uh, been busy with for sure over the past few weeks, and um, you know, I guess that's good news that that you do see a light at the end of the tunnel there. So. <laughs> well, look, I mean, it's been a great learning experience for me um, to kind of go through some of these and get introductions uh, to multiple people within the organization who I likely wouldn't have met without um, some of these. But um, you know, it's it's painful for people in the field who are having to watch me learn through this process at the end of the day. So it's not, uh, it's not something I, I hope I'm not to go through um, all the time, nor does the field. But like I said, I think, you know, we're in a pretty good spot as, as an organization from a, a glyphosate supply, generally speaking. Um, and we're, we're, we're trying to do our best to keep up with as many POs as we possibly can mm-hmm. uh, here, here in the short term. But it's going to resolve itself. Yeah. It'll be positive. Well, I think just some of the some of the buzz around the industry. I think logistically, twenty twenty one will be be a little bit of a bumpy year. I mean, I think there'll be some challenges with uh, with getting getting products in time, whether that's chemical fertilizer. I know um, some of the commodity fertilizers and phosphacid are starting to um, get a little tight, and delivery around those is is becoming in question. So a lot of a lot of challenges as usual, but I guess. Uh, I'll say that's one one thing about working for Nutrien. We got a lot of uh, a lot of avenues and a lot of support that uh, that makes it makes it easier than uh, than probably some other guys out there. So that's always good. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, you know, just the fact that we've got such a large footprint as well as the assets to deliver, being a distributor to deliver as much product as we can is is great. And you know, right now I was actually read something this morning on Successful Farmer talking about. Um, projected farm economy like we're we're going into 2021 and there's a lot of upside um, and I think they're projecting around 20% increase over the 10-year average so you know we want to be able to deliver all the stuff that, that you guys work on that, that, that drive yield um, and have proven to drive yield year in year out um, to help help our farmers and, and producers produce as much as we possibly can going into going into this year it's a pretty unique opportunity, especially when you look back last spring when, uh, you know, people were uh, a little half glass empty in terms of commodity pricing, pricing when the corn's looking like it may be less than three bucks or, or beans less than eight. You know, I mean, it was a pretty grim look into uh, into the season. So when we get into the fall and it's like, holy cow, we're seeing $5, $5 corn. Uh, hopefully there's some excitement out there for, for everybody. Yeah, the the outlook has definitely changed, and you know I, uh, the attitudes uh, when you're when you're out there talking to everybody is is much much better. It's it's much better to be a part of uh, this this fall and and this winter uh, the, when you're talking about value added products uh, than it ever has. Well, not ever, but in the past you know three years. So yeah, I think definitely got a lot of positive things on the horizon and. Uh hopefully sets us up for some some pretty exciting opportunities ahead for for everybody because that's I mean obviously that's the name of the game our customers need to succeed in order for us to succeed so that's uh that's where, where we focus a lot of our efforts yep definitely 
Well, Jake, I just, you know, Dustin, I want to thank you for taking the time as a, you know, good insight. I know, um, personally, I just think with, uh, with your specific guarantee that these problems will go away in a few <laughs> weeks that, uh, you've made a lot of people happy, but, uh, but no, seriously, thanks for, for giving some insight on that, uh, issue and appreciate you taking the time to visit with us. Yep. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having yep, me. Thanks, Jake. It was nice to meet you, man. All right, welcome back. Um, you know, big thanks to Jake um, Walker. He had a lot of really good insight into uh, glyphosate. And, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that it's just going to be a temporary impact. You know, we'll make sure that we hold him to that, to what he says. But, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that guys aren't going to have too big issues uh, getting any supply of glyphosate this year. So hopefully. You know, it sounds it sounds like they've got, uh, got a plan and mm -hmm. just the um... – you know, like I mentioned in the interview, I remember several years ago when it was an actual supply sh shortage. I think those are a little harder to recover from this. This seems like it's more logistics and hopefully we can, uh, you know, we can we can manage that yeah. as best we can and, you know, get get it to the growers in time. Yeah. I mean, this year's going to be interesting all around when it comes oh, to Oh, I think supply. totally. I mean, like, like we mentioned in the in the first part of the cast, it's... Uh, the supply chain in general is just just interrupted across the world. Yeah. So, you know, a couple of things that just some interesting facts. Um, you know, glyphosate's a ten billion dollar industry here in the U.S. Holy cow! I did use, not. Uh, you know, just just on average, we use about one point eight million tons of glyphosate every year. Jeez. From 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 you and I spraying our yards to to the obvious, you know, Roundup Ready cropping systems. It's mm -hmm. uh, the glyphosate tolerant crops it's it's a big deal i mean it's um obviously gets a lot of pub positive and negative but mm -hmm. um you know yeah, it's, it, it, it's an important tool for for ag for sure yeah i've heard that if you test for glyphosate on pretty much anything you'll find it like if there's a complaint on grapes or anything like that if you test for glyphosate it's going to be on it it's, it's yeah it's there because it's there, we use so much of it yeah, no, it's probably probably surprising, but you know, it's um, you know, I think it gets a lot of a lot of negative publicity. But if you look at some of the chemistries that we were using before before we had <laughs> yeah. access, it's it's, um, <laughs> it's a lot better. <laughs> it's a, it's an extremely safe and important tool. Yeah, definitely. So you know, Jake uh, Jake mentioned you know, the challenges of glyphosate, and like you said, I think twenty twenty one springtime is going to be offer some. Uh, some bumps along the road. Um, you know, I, I think from a, from a fertility standpoint, um, you know, every year we've, we've got to really sit down and figure out some of the best ways to, to maximize that investment. You know, that's something you and I deal with, mm -hmm. with quite a bit. Um, and one of the things that I see becoming more and more on the forefront of what some of our customers are talking about is sulfur. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you see that as much in your travels, but that's something that uh, I've had a lot of conversations about lately. Yeah, I really haven't been talking a whole lot about sulfur. Um, you know, I've been really focusing on uh, potassium, but, you know, sulfur, sulfur is, you know, like you said, it's, it doesn't get talked about much. Um, it's just part of, you know, most guys program. They just run, you know, seven to 10% solution, you know, thio with their UAN and they know that their sulfur is good, right? Yeah, and I think um, 
I think the importance of sulfur can can get overlooked at times. Um, you know, when, when we're talking about driving yields, obviously nitrogen, you know, especially when we're talking about corn, nitrogen seems to be a big driver. Guys want to grow more corn, we're going to put more nitrogen on. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that balanced nutrient approach is is really important when we start bumping one thing up. And I think some of those sulfur rates really start to drag. I mean, we look at what sulfur does from, you know, driving the chlorophyll production, mm-hmm. um, increase in oil and protein in, in certain crops. Um, you know, something, uh, some of the higher value crops, I mean, it's a big driver in quality. It, it's, to me, it's 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 almost becoming the fourth uh, macronutrient. So that's something to think about. You know, as um, as we sit down and think of some of our spring decisions and and fertility. You know, we're um, in the central part of the country. We're going to start. We're starting to fertilize wheat. Sulfur is important with the nitrogen. Um, just uh, just something I've I've noticed, and I wanted to kind of kind of bring up. Yeah. Oh, that's that's a good idea. You know, one other, one other thing you know about me, Dustin, I love uh, I love random facts. Um, I'm not sure how we're going to, you know, we maybe we can get a sponsor for like the fun, fun ag fact of the day. Mm-hmm. But um, until go. then, um, one uh, one that I found um, and it'd be interesting to see how this how this uh, changed this year. But on average, uh, Americans consume 17.3 billion quarts of popcorn. 17. Yep. Holy cow. So a lot of a lot of popcorn consumption, although I'm sure with the movie theaters being being regulated mm-hmm. and shut down, uh, probably uh probably off quite a bit, but that was uh that's yeah. a lot of popcorn. I'm I don't know. Yeah. I love popcorn. I probably love the you butter should. on the popcorn. That's why I that's why I eat it. Yeah, you, you just reminded me that I need to go get some when I go to the store. Yeah. Now that that's one cool thing. Uh, you know, you get in the place, and Nebraska is really good with it. Um, you know, you get some of these smaller producers, local uh, local popcorn mm-hmm. productions, pretty neat. And um, I don't know, nothing against the big food chains, but it's uh, you get some local popcorn and pop it on the stove. Mm-hmm. It's hard to beat. Yep, yep, for sure. Mm, now I want some popcorn. So, well, man, I think, uh, I think that about wraps up the first episode. That was kind of, uh, you know, a little chunky, a little, you know, stumbling around, but hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully everybody finds some, some value. Um, you know, obviously the, the way we see it and, and you can add to this Dustin, but I think the, the stars of the show are going to be the guests. We want to, we want to bring people on that are contributing to our industry and, and bringing information. And I think that'll be the basic premise and, and, and hence the name digging up dirt. It's not, uh, mm-hmm. definitely not the Dustin and Brandon show. We're, we're digging up dirt within the industry <laughs> and trying to, to unearth some of those nuggets, if you will. Speaking of digging up dirt, if you want to uh, dig up any dirt on us or reach out to us with some ideas on some content, Twitter is the best way to get a hold of us. Our Twitter handle is DUD underscore ag. That's D-U-D, like digging up dirt, underscore ag. Check us out on Twitter and really appreciate you tuning in and look forward to interacting with everybody and getting some more info out here in a couple weeks. Yeah, 
yeah, we'll try and get another episode out uh, here in a couple weeks. Um, and uh, we're going to just continually get better and better at this, uh, just like everything else with repetition. Uh, we'll get better. And we're going to continue to bring you guys um, some some really cool guests like like Jake. You know, another big shout out to Jake for, for hopping on. Um, and I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, just hit us up on Twitter. Thanks, guys.